So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Oh, hey, Michael. Why don't you figure out how to introduce this uh, particular episode? Is it a festival coverage? Is it a is it a doc talk? Why don't Why don't you title it? I think you hit uh, both of the ways I would describe it. It is yet another doc talk edition of Drink in the Movies on the occasion of the Hot Docs Film Festival. Correct. So I guess I'll go with something like Hot Docs Doc Talk. Or, I like that. Uh, Doc Talk Hot Docs 2021. I don't, yeah. Because we normally do parts of Doc Talk mm. part, whatever this one is, maybe six or seven, um, and then go. Hot Docs edition? Yeah, Hot Docs 2021 edition. And then, um, you know, introduce the titles. It'll be a really short <laughs> title. <laughs> we have an injured team today. You have a injured kidney. Uh-huh. I have an injured finger. We are not drinking beer. We are recovering today we are we are well hydrated and we are taking a bunch of caffeine in our uptake system we just watched um audible the first documentary title we're gonna talk about right before starting the episode but as always before that we're gonna hit the first impressions titles we've got witches of the orient and i walk on water which one do you want to start with michael how about witches of the orient 日本で一番のチームだったので、ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうですか。ああ、そうです
um, that, you know, it's just a, a very specific thing that I wouldn't necessarily be jumping um, to, to go see. But, um, yeah, I, I think it does look cool. Um, I would agree the kind of combo of animation and archival footage looks cool. And the fact that he's talking to these women um, now in old age and it looks like they'll be kind of reflecting on it could be kind of interesting. It's partly just about their memory of the experience, not just a straightforward history of it. That could be interesting. Um, yeah, I am optimistic. Same. All right. On to I Walk on Water from Kalika Law. When she's a good guy, yes. When she's a bad guy, no. When she's a good guy, when she's a good guy. When she got all the girls, some of my friends she stay. When she's a good guy, when she's a good guy, yeah. Whoever one of my smart. With a hand to the sky and say, French never let you down, keep you warm a little long, yeah. Alright, Michael, that was the trailer for I Wow or I Walk on Water from Kalika La, one of your favorite um, kind of lower budget documentarians since we've started the show, as far as I'm aware. What do you think of uh, this trailer for I Walk on Water? I don't know that I'd go that far as to say it's one of my favorites. I remember being very excited and optimistic about Black Mother. That was from 2018. You did. That was your most anticipated film, I think. Not it was definitely on there. Yeah. But you know, I think I had it at like a three and a half out of five. And I think I still would probably put it there. Um, the look of this movie... Uh, reminds me more of like the couple I think we did maybe two shorts of his mm-hmm. before we watched Black Mother if I'm remembering correctly yep. and those were more about um, people on the streets of New York City and that's what this one looks like it is kind of this little you know urban symphony of, of people who just are spending their time on the streets um, I, I kind of like that in short form this is three plus hours I I fear uh, I am not sure how it will be able to sustain itself for that long. That is a lot. Um, so I'm a little nervous. What about you? I am more than a little nervous. I am weary already from that 200 minute runtime. I think I saw, um, it looks really good. There's no doubt about the fact that with Kalika Law's, um, images, I want to hit print, want to put mm-hmm. them in a frame, want to hang them on a wall. Um, but like you mentioned, I almost think that this is like the same like 99 cent store or like it feels the same. It feels like I've already mm. seen some of these faces in those shorts. Um, I, I just really genuinely don't have interest in something that's this long. Um, I'm glad that he's continuing to experiment with long form storytelling um, and, you know, collecting that footage and assembling it. I just um, I think we're a ways away from whatever it is that Kalik's going to actually be remembered for. And this is rather just like a pavestone on, on the way there rather than the the monument that you arrive at in his career. Yeah, this is definitely one of those where I will be I will let others go first mm-hmm. and report back and it may be and, and hope they say that there is something new, kind of there's a little more to it than what we had seen previously in the shorts. Uh, and that would encourage me to to sit down for 
uh, a three plus hour watch. Um, let someone else try the water first. Yeah, I don't think anything would actually get me to sit down for the three plus hour watch. But um, just hearing good things about it would make me more confident to sit in on the next one. There you go. Cool. All right. On to Netflix's Audible. All right. This is directed by Matthew Oggins. You mentioned it was a Netflix uh, film. I'm actually not sure what the release uh, plan for this is. It's not currently on Netflix, but it will be coming soon. Is that it right? It will be coming soon. I believe that it's supposed to be on there in early July, according to some press stuff that we've received. I've since heard that same stuff retracted in multiple instances, mm. so I'm not too confident that they know exactly when they're releasing what they have on their hands. But, um, you know, I, I would expect it will launch this summer. I think that Matthew told me it was going to be this summer, so you can at least say that confidently. Yeah, it is. Shorts have kind of a funny place within Netflix because I don't know that I've personally have ever seen a shorts like carousel. Maybe there is, or maybe it. You have to type exists. in short, and then um, there was a, a category that pops up. You yeah, go it's to that tagged in some way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Audible is a documentary short, but a rather long documentary short, clocking in at thirty nine minutes. Uh, it is about uh, the students at a Maryland school for the deaf, and it's particularly focused on uh, members of the football team and friendships between them and their experience uh, uh, on a hot winning streak. 40-plus yes. games over several seasons. 42 games over, do you even know how many seasons that takes, is I believe what his father says. Amari. I'd be pretty nervous at like 10 games that this can't go on for, for too much longer. And they did 40. That's pretty good. Right. Um, so what, one of the interesting things that I found out is that, um, he kind of built up a relationship with the coach of this team, um, over the years. And he'd been, um, on campus and collected footage over multiple years. And, um, just this year, everything kind of hit. Um, and what we see is 2019, um, the 2019 school year rather. Um, and, um, it, it's just, it's kind of interesting to imagine being a documentarian and you're trying to make a documentary about high school kids, but they, they're, they're seniors and now they're gone. And mm. okay. So you have this tiny little window to shoot and just, um, imagine just kind of going back to the well over and over and just like you miss one year, it, you know, there's nothing that comes of it. Another year, nothing comes of it. And then, you just get kind of all the, the stars to align where Amari, our star here, is like very magnetic, um, kind of indefinable as far as like how you would um, construct him to someone just verbally, like who he is and what he is as a person. Um, so it's it's very interesting that a documentary like this even got made just because of the, the half-life in these schools where people aren't the same thing and they don't stay for very long. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're meeting a handful of different people, but Amari McKinstry Hall is sort of our primary focal point. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a, uh, young man who lost his hearing due to meningitis mm -hmm. at an early age, two. two or three. Two. Um, so we're primarily focused on him, but we meet his friends as well. Um, very much a tragedy as we learn about a close friend of his who took his own life after being, uh, like subjected to bullying, which sounded just like 
it ridiculously cruel. That was quite shocking. So it's uh, a very tragic documentary, that's for sure. Yeah, that that kid's name who um, hung himself was Teddy, and um, he was, I think, best friends with Amari, but he was also dating the the male cheerleader. Um, so mm. it was kind of you know like that emptiness of that friend group that we kind of see throughout this documentary. And, um, you know, there's that line that number 23 says during his father's sermon, he references it. So I'm referencing a reference to the reference. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, um, about this team that beats them for the first time in the very beginning of the film. Um, he says this loss will not define us. And it's, um, it's counterintuitive, but the spirit is there where at the center of this film is just this emptiness, this loss that kind of defines these people's backbone and how hard they are, whether it's his mother or him or um, the girl who I'm forgetting the name of. Um, they, they're all experiencing these hardships and these these losses in different ways. Him and the fact that he lost his hearing, his father um, left the family. Um, his best friend committed suicide. There's all these different losses, but they're not letting it define them. So even though that statement's maybe not correct, I think that spirit really rings throughout the entirety of the project. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to know, and maybe you do know this and can share, but mm-hmm. how he did land on the runtime since it's about 40 minutes. It kind of feels like, if anything, it could be a feature. It feels like there's a lot here to explore. I, I do have to say, I kind of feel like there are things that are that just feel kind of underexplored. Like I would just rather this be a real full-length feature. Do, was there? Do you know if there was intention or purpose behind making this a short? I think that it was um, kind of open-ended as far as the runtime. I think it was always intended to be a short, but the runtime wasn't really ironed out. It was him working over Zoom with his editor. They just kind of stumbled onto the way to tell this arc that feels the most holistic and makes sense the most. I agree that there's moments that I'd like to watch breathe, but I do question if you start letting it breathe in certain places, if you lose the effectiveness and kind of the, the, uh, the fast two wheel drive car that it already is, you know, maybe, maybe you can make it go further and and do more, but maybe you lose some of the functionality that makes it fun um, Mm. in doing so. I, I thought myself about that quite a while after I watched it the first, uh, couple times and um i'm not sure that i have a right answer but i definitely felt that same way like why isn't this you know there's there's so much here that i'd I'd like to see more of but i also am saying that i'd like to see more of it which means you you win (laughs) as a filmmaker you got me to say that which is a win in in and of itself yeah yeah um yeah i might i I might have responded a little more unfavorably in that sense and just that it, it just felt um like there was just kind of a a little bit of a lack of of lack of exploration in a sense um and that that's partly due to the filmmaking i guess it is kind of an interestingly shot documentary because i think it it in a way it feels more like a narrative feature and it's polish um you know we have this some really sleek kind of camera work with tracking shots um you know i think the kind of convention of documentary today is a, skews a little bit more towards verite. Um, there is a way in which this sometimes feel to me, I hate to say it, but a little bit more like something like a Nike ad than, you know, a real kind of raw, authentic, authentic portrait of these, of these real people. I don't know. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it, it is decidedly polished and 
exuberantly lit in its nighttime sequences. Um, there's all that that flash and, and stuff. But I mean, at I don't know when the content is a teenage boy that hung himself after he was bullied incessantly, um, and your main character is a, a two-year-old child that had meningitis and lost his hearing and his dad ran away on him and his best friend committed suicide. Like I, I, when that's at the heart of the documentary and that sticks with me, I feel like the, um, the artifice that, that is glossy, um, doesn't detract in the way that it would in other projects. It, I think it's just because the content I took home with me, um, means that I'm incredibly forgiving to this kind of Michael Bay-esque looking um, <laughs> cinematography where it's just gloriously bright. It, it is, yeah, very handsomely shot, um, no doubt. Um, and I mean, just the fact that it, it kind of even exists is just kind of, you know, it's just kind of an immensely kind-hearted gesture in itself. Um, it does seem to really kind of... I think you could argue it is very much celebrating these these kids by mm-hmm. by applying that kind of um, polished filmmaking, um, especially in scenes where we're not on the football field, but like at, um, the parties or dances that are uh, like in slow motion and we're the hearing music. Road. Yeah, yeah, those are um, you know clearly much more kind of romanticized in a way, but in a but in a of way that I think is very much meant to celebrate these experiences that they're having, which are kind of their last moments of high school. So Yeah, and you're kind of conveying how I, th- I personally think, as someone that went through that experience, that in depicting it that kind of glorious, exuberant way, you're transmitting some of the fervent energy in these particular kids in this particular moment of their life before everything changes. It is very exciting. You don't know what's you know, over that, that cliff edge. And these are the people you're with. And this is maybe the last time that, you know, you guys just did this together. Um, Mm -hmm. Every single moment of that senior year for them is maybe the last time they do that together. So there's that, that undercurrent of sorrow to the celebration that um, I, I think that technique um, speaks more rather than less with. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of think that whether it's a documentary or a fiction feature, you picture a movie involving football and locker room scenes and they all kind of look the same because you always imagine yelling and chest pounding and noise (laughs) itself Mm -hmm. so you know it is illuminating and for the simple fact that it is showing us how that is just not what it looks like that's not what it feels like um for for these kids to be in the locker room and for it to be quiet as they're um getting each other wild up in the way that they do um, through sign language. Um, You know, it's illuminating just for just showing us what it does. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting um, just kind of how these main characters, I guess, or, or the, these films that are pretty high um, marketed, are about mm-hmm. deaf people. We've got Coda coming out, um, which Apple acquired at Sundance, uh, Child of Deaf Adults, which, um, y- you know, I think that's going to be later this summer on Apple TV. Sound of mm-hmm. Metal was just up for a bunch of awards. And then there's this. I, I just, I think that there's something interesting in the water where we're starting to tell these deaf stories. Um, and I, I, I'm just interested in the fact that this is just kind of happening. Um, and it's all really about 
these um, American stories, like these American kids going through this experience, which is not, I, I don't think I can think of like other films before this. And now we just kind of have three, one of which is a documentary, two of which are, are narrative features kind of telling these stories. I, I don't know. It's just very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, we talk about representation in movies, whether that's fiction or nonfiction, so, so, so often the conversation's focused on race, at least in recent years. But remember when, um, oh, the Sarah Paulson uh, thriller Run came out yeah. on Hulu last year. That was, you know, all about a young woman in a wheelchair in a fairly tight little thriller that I kind of liked. Um, I, I, I do kind of like... Um, the fact that we're getting uh, more stuff that is about people with different kinds of disabilities, um, which I do think can go really underrepresented um, in all kinds of cinema. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but Good like, stuff. historically, like, name the last documentary you saw about a living person who was deaf. Um, yeah, I can't right? think of anything. It's very interesting that, like, it's just kind of happening right now. Just this little bump. Um, yeah, yeah I, anybody that's listened to previous Doc Talks might um, have heard the conversation we had about 17 blocks, as far as I understand. Um, mm. This is Maryland. That was in D.C., but it's it's like somewhere between a two and four hour drive, depending on traffic, to get from that location to this location. And it's just interesting to see the juxtaposition, there's that word, um, between the youth experience um, in those two different cities and, and areas. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty stark contrast. Yeah, we're not seeing like the the home lives or like their economic situation in great detail, but just from the little bit you do see of people just kind of walking around the town, particularly Amari's father, mm-hmm. just looks like the, you know you're walking past some some boarded up buildings and stuff and stuff like that. It doesn't look like the town is thriving necessarily, um, but it's also not you know, crime with, with shootings and, no, and no, the, no. the inner homes, you know, they seem like peaceful home lives. And um, yeah, for it's, sure, it's just, for sure. it's really interesting because um, in Maryland, we also see, um, or we've seen rap film from Theo Anthony, you mm. know, there's, there's just, there's interesting, or I guess it's interesting to see the, these documentaries from the same area and just how that two hour geographical location um, kind of changes so significantly what the home life experience is for these kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, I kind of expected at the first few minutes of this documentary for it to be exclusively focused on football. Um, it's kind of nice that we uh, dip our toes into the love lives of uh, Amari in particular and a little bit about um, uh, the other young man, I'm forgetting his name, who's dating uh, another cheerleader you said right yeah um that's fine stuff i'll I'll go for that kind of thing yeah yeah Mm -hmm. the the little trip to the the ice cream parlor yeah yeah always a fan um yeah this should be on netflix in midsummer do you have a favorite scene you want to mention before we we jump on uh ice cream scene's pretty good i kind of like his little joke to the girlfriend saying he's broke and she's gonna have to pay thank god that was a joke he coughs (laughs) up some money what about you um, I'm going to go with the, the moment that I verbally told you that I just, I like that shot. And it's when Amari it has kettlebells in each hand and he's just walking underwater. Um, mm. it's something that he 
didn't do just for the documentary. It's part of his training routine and they just figured out a way to rig up mm. a camera and shoot it. But I just, I think that it really just speaks deeper than any narrative moment could where someone else is speaking on his behalf to just know that this is a kid in high school that's gone through all this in his life. He works out. We've already seen that. He's good with his friends. We've already seen that. He's popular. We've already seen that. But it's God knows what hour. And he's got weights on the bottom of a pool and he's just walking back and forth holding his breath. I think that says something deep about the character of this person that I I just, not only does the shot look great, but I like the, in, the intent. A lot of strength there, no doubt. On to Archipelago. On dit la mer pour le fleuve lorsqu'il est large parce que nous savons que toute mer ne l'est que pour celui qui la nomme. On a dit de nos forêts qu'elles étaient vastes, mais nous savons qu'avant tout, elles sont libres, douloureuses, habitées. All right, Michael, can you tell us who Archipelago was directed by? Archipelago was directed by Félix Dufour-Laperriere. All right, three times fast, you have ten seconds, go. <laughs> cannot do it, I will not, cannot. I tried, I won't even dare try a... Uh, French Canadian accent, but I think that is probably how it should be pronounced is with a French Canadian accent. I think you are correct. Um, why don't you give us your best French Canadian accent go? No. You should have said A. Hey. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a 71 minute, I want to say, um, kind of animated, voiceovered, um, written text at, at some points look at um, like a collective story of the settling of a region in, uh, I think it's called the Thousand Island region uh, in Quebec. It's um, very unconventional. It's not quite my Mexican pretzel, which is what I was hoping for. But you know me, Mm. once I find something I love, I just always hope that it's going to be that or better. Um, But it, it takes risks in its animation style. I really like the cutout profile of the woman in the beginning and showing us the images um through her i think that offers an interesting transitive property where you you feel like that person is um maybe like an extension of living the life of being around those images it's it's just a really unique uh thing that i don't think i've seen before in um documentary filmmaking and there's a lot of little things like that that i loved here but at the end of the day, it didn't quite all come together for me. I think I'm right around you with the uh, three-star review you have on Letterboxd. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of think my my star rating will probably stay where it is. There is a real medley of styles here. You're right. Um, Animation-wise, uh, there's you know some animation that looks more like pencil sketches, some mm-hmm. that looks more um, painterly. There's stuff where we're seeing... Um, live action footage that has been kind of painted on top of and just brought to life a little bit with some um, color animation or rotoscoping, I think, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, there's the, yeah, the stenc- kind of stencil kind of look yeah. um, that we get at times. That feels like one of the more kind of core techniques because that figure kind of feels... she'll fill that stencil differently. She'll either fill it with that, that pencil animation or she'll put in um, the... Uh, the images right and that feels more like newly shot footage to i mm-hmm. I, I think right of the yeah. islands themselves the water that or kind of thing grass. yeah um 
kind of feel like this is actually kind of a good companion with the next film we're talking about, just in that is these are both films about places. Um, and about the body of water defining the homo sapien behavior of a place. Very much so. The The bodies of water are very much kind of characters uh, in and of themselves. Um, yeah, um, I, I'm with you. I don't know that the, the, the variety of styles here ever totally meshed for me. Um, I do feel like this documentary strains a bit to uh, strike a, a profound chord. I wish it would maybe have just lightened up in in a, in a way or another um, skewed towards joviality at some point there's it's a little humorless um especially towards the end i do think you know some some of the styles work better for me than others i think that's kind of what you're going to get with something this kind of uh with this much variety of of, of experimentation and, and animation um yeah, I, it's kind of interesting because it's, I think, kind of a blend of, of, of fact and fiction, right? Like, we're starting with this real geographical place, but there's clearly some artistic liberties being taken with mm-hmm. how it's brought to life. I do think there's something um, interesting about that. But at the same time, I found a lot of the technique to kind of distract me, in a way, from the essence of the place itself. And I got a little caught up with just um, uh, feeling a little overwhelmed by the by the technique yeah like what is true where are we exactly why is this the footage that's being shown right we don't get um you know how your grandma on the back of all her photos she's meticulously written what year and who is in these images we don't get any of that same respect Mm -hmm. in this documentary we have no idea if this um archival footage that appears to be like early 1900s late 1800s is actually from this location or if it's just from somewhere else and you're giving me the the superimposition of feeling like it's true Mm. um that's why i loved my mexican bretzel because it it absolutely claims to be nothing um at all whereas the the precept of this is that it's defining this one thing Mm. um and so just in that differentiation of of making the claim that you're defining this thing and then not being clear about whether or not what i'm seeing is is factually true or a representation of what it was like um really colors it poorly where if you would have just told me what either which way that footage was either way it wouldn't have been a negative it would have just been an informed positive yeah because it would just be providing me with true information yeah like it's easier for me to describe just the techniques you know as we already have done talking about the different styles of animation i don't know that i really yeah (laughs) then i i don't know that i really can characterize like what what the essence of this place is after watching this documentary which feels like a little bit of of a of a failure it's part there's kind of a preciousness to um a lot of the styles that's right um there's kind of this soft kind of ambient score that's um, kind of running from start to finish. I I just think this all needs to have been loosened up a little bit. It feels just very, very precious to me, too precious. Um, I think that's right because like there's, if you just look at each one thing, it's great. But mm. when you put it all together, there's too much salt. Yeah, there's there's yeah. just too much. It it doesn't quite work. The sound design is great when all you see is the the profile of the girl, and you know she becomes an animation, and then she turns back to grass, 
and and then that sound stays the same and gets more kind of uh extravagant which makes it more laborious the more complex the film gets instead of just loosening up and it it doesn't pay dividends whereas each of the things when it gets more extravagant is interesting the music gets more interesting together it was too much sensory overload you can't keep up and it's not actually informing the other thing um i will do a quick spoiler here when you ask Mm. me what my favorite scene is this is going to be the Mm. answer but i think one of my favorite moments from documentary this year in, and like most interesting things I've ever seen done as far as animation is the way that they show the settling of mm. on the map and mm. how mm-hmm. they do these lines and these fills and they, they rotate the map and they start from the uh, the Occidental and the Oriental um, halves mm-hmm. and then they zoom in and they kind of move around. It's it's um, God, what would we call that screen mise en um, it's kind yeah, of yeah. like a deviation of that, but it's all animation and it's, um, I don't know. I think that people should look at that one moment and just steal that as well as they can if they want to make, uh, maps in films really interesting. Yeah. I like those as well. Um, there are some moments where the, the, the frame is largely black, but we're just seeing kind of a, a smaller square within the frame at large that something is played out mm-hmm. in. And yeah, one that stood out to me is where it kind of feels as if like we're looking at the window of a train and we're kind mm-hmm. of looking at the, the island terrain as we go by. And it kind of looks like it was shot, but then painted on top of. It's almost a little hard to discern whether it's painting or live action footage with painting on it or something like that. That I thought was really striking and just beautiful. And then we'd go to something else and I would be like, I don't like that at all. Uh, so I was, was a little uneven. <laughs> I, I don't like your artistic tastes anymore. Bring it back. Which is, I, I think, I think I read that there, there were like a bunch of animators that worked on this and the director was putting them all together. I believe. Um, right. It, it yeah. does feel like a, a, some really disparate styles. Um, yeah. Particularly, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but the Scott Free productions animation at the beginning of any Ridley Scott film. Mm. It, it's like exactly that animation where I think that little boy turns into like a bird and flies away. Like mm. there's exactly that particular animation here. Um, and I, I just remember thinking that like, I wonder what the name of this particular animation is. Like, I yeah. love it and I never see it. Yeah. I think I, I skew towards, I, I prefer some of the more abstract stuff in this versus some of the more figurative sequences. There's one where I don't even know why, but we're seeing like, you know, an animated snake and a fox duel it out mm-hmm. i could have just tuned out and then there would be something more more abstract where you're just seeing these kind of animated forms kind of come to life um one of my favorite shorts of the avant-garde variety um is by another canadian filmmaker norman mclaren it's called begone dull care and it's like seven or eight minutes it's just kind of abstract animation come to life in just this kind of visual music. And I think those are the sequences that I very much, very much am drawn to. Um, and why I was probably a little all over with the place as I was watching this and thinking about what, 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 what would I rate this? Um, just never good. I never really want to be thinking about that when I'm watching a movie, but I was mm-hmm. bouncing around quite a bit. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point because you're, what you're really saying is that this is one of those movies where when you watch it, you start thinking in your own head about like anything you could think about the movie or you can think about anything. Like it's just a movie where you're going to get distracted by your own brain Mm -hmm. because there's not enough 
happening to keep you drawn in and there's simultaneously too much for you to be able to grab onto any particular thing because as soon as you do it'll fade and switch to something else um so there's not really any uh lodestone to to kind of weigh yourself by in this thing um that there's an, another moment um it's kind of I think it's like you're describing where it's this um, painting on top of the actual image, um, but it's also only taking up a part of the screen and the other part's black. And it's also kind of the map at the same time. Like it's real, it's a map and it's being painted on. And they're showing the um, the sea level rise and fall or the, the swell rise and fall of the, mm. the river and the lake and how there's more islands and less islands and you know that deviation over time that was just a really fascinating image to look at but it also embodies my deepest criticism of the film which is that i have no idea what the time pass was mm. it told me nothing about the region i don't know if that's what happens between fall and spring or if that's what happens between twenty-eight thousand bc and 2080 i have mm. no idea what that spread is yeah, it is a little opaque in that yeah. regard. But it's it's like I feel like I'm this infuriated because there's so much talent. Yeah. And it's yeah. just uh it's just not quite seasoned correctly. It doesn't all come together. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh yeah, the film uh Loving Vincent came to mind as I was watching this. Um I think this I'd prefer over Loving Vincent. Me too. Me too. Um, I think I'm still waiting for a documentary to use, you know, animation in this paint, especially painted kind of animation in a way that really works for me. Um, I don't know that that, that this style is, is right up my alley. Yeah. I haven't mm. seen the tower. I'm not sure exactly what type of um, mm. artistic quality that has. I just saw Dear Mr. Brody, which was that filmmaker's follow up. Did not care for it at all, but I, I still need to go back and watch that one. I think it, it won Best Documentary, I think, 2017 at, at uh, South by Southwest in Austin. So um, maybe that's one where potentially there's interesting paintings. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have much more on this or do you want to give me your favorite scene? Um, I think we can do favorite scenes, which I think I probably already mentioned. It is kind of that shot where it's kind of feels like we're looking at a train car window. I don't know why I've just I just feel like I've been particularly drawn over the past, I don't know, couple of years to trains in cinema. It just feels like the most cinematic vehicle to me, partly because of like the history of it, right? Like the first couple movies in existence of trains coming into the station. I um, think what really is happening is you really want to watch Kenneth Branagh and Sidney Lumet's different versions of Murder on the Orient Express. I think that's what's manifesting. I don't know that that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but <laughs> let me speak for you. This is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that scene pretty well. Uh, what about you? Mine is the same one I mentioned. It's the the map changing and filling and those lines. Um, just it's an incredible sequence, and I've never seen anything come close to it that paints a picture over time of settlement, of ley lines, of boundaries, and boundaries being swept away. Um, really, just kind of a transcendental moment of uh, human settling. Um, on to a river runs, turns, erases, replaces.
All right, Michael. This film was directed by... Sheng Zi Zhu, who I think I read is... Who lives in Chicago now, but is originally from Wuhan, which Mm -hmm. this documentary is about. This is a documentary about a river, seemingly, but also about, um, you know, uh, a single filmmaker saying, all right, Frederick Weissman, let me see what I can do. (laughs) Yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that comparison. Um, So it's not something intentional that I set out to do it all, but simply because I could, I found myself counting how many shots there were in this movie, because this is a movie comprised exclusively of very long takes so there are about i lost confidence at some point in where exactly i was at but i think there are about 27 or 28 shots over the course of this movie which is about 90 minutes a little under 90 minutes so you're coward he couldn't even beat kurosawa 24 current record there you go (laughs) um so the were the documentary is comprised entirely of long takes where the camera never moves. We're just looking at these static shots, um, wide shots of the city of Wuhan from different uh, vantage points, um, with the Yangtze River often figuring somewhat centrally into the images, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, where did this land for you? I don't know. I didn't like it, but I respect it a lot. Mm. Kind of like a Wiseman documentary, (laughs) you Mm. know? It's just, it was grueling for me to pay attention. I I watched it after work, you Mm. know? And it just, um, there were other things that I would have rather done to relax, let's say. Um, Mm. Which always, you know, can color a a film differently. But we also have different sensibilities, and you like the, uh, you like the, single take images quite a bit more i think than i do um in documentary filmmaking um i'm mixed on them in features you know when they're useful they're interesting when they're you know kind of wasted they're not birdman's one thing you know something that isn't birdman is another thing Mm -hmm. um for instance but there's these moments that i I really like and then there's moments that i hate like the the idiot who couldn't use the excavator correctly i almost texted you while i was watching that scene like can you believe this idiot that was unbearable the wood properly you need to put a tongue on that bucket (laughs) yeah um but then there's there's the moment um with the saxophone and the little kid going in and out of frame um and it's just kind of the, the city park area and these dogs are like meeting each other um and there's just this great saxophone noise and he, he's in the upper left and you can't really see the saxophone until like the end of that shot and i just kept wondering like is this actually part of the frame or not the sound that i'm hearing mm. and as soon as i saw it i was like oh that's that's magic that's that's music magic um and then the other one like how do you not love the water buffalo taking a shit like, that's towards the end, that right? That is peak cinema. There you go. Is that your favorite scene? Spoiler? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I love that saxophone, but that, that water buffalo just uh, munching around, standing in the middle of the river, taking a big old duke um, right at the end of that movie. I I was a fan. There you go. Well, I got to say, I love this movie, uh, and I'm only liking it more the longer I sit with it. Um, it is definitely a movie that I think is, you know, sort of on the 
boundary between like art houses and gallery spaces. I think if anything, it's probably more likely to be found in the gallery world um, just because of its uh, pace and the fact that there's no real um, narrative or dialogue. The only thing we're getting that resembles, you know, narrative are these letters that manifest as on-screen text where unnamed people are writing letters to um, family members or loved ones um, who, who passed away due to um, COVID. Um, the very first shot of the movie is this, it's the longest shot of the movie, I think, by a good margin, where we're watching CCT footage of... At the beginning, it's silent as well. And then it silent, gets yep. later, which is weird. Check your volume before uh, yeah. the sound comes in because it'll be loud. I, I made that mistake. Um, and we're watching, yeah, this surveillance camera footage for from over like, I don't know, maybe like eight weeks as the city kind of goes under lockdown and then eventually comes out of lockdown. We're kind of looking at this little like plaza, which you can cross the street into and there are kind of some shops on either side. And it's, you know, deserted as you would expect it to be as people have gone into lockdown and then... Mm-hmm people kind of reemerge. Um, so I think COVID is very much a factor in the movie yeah. for sure. Um, but to me, there are, there are really kind of two distinct ideas in this doc that together are just fascinating. One of which is COVID and just sort of the, the grief, you know, associated with um, the, with the, with all the, the loss that COVID has caused in this city and then there's the, you know, development of the city itself. And we're seeing, you know, images of um, highways and bridges being constructed constructed, and we're seeing all this infrastructure being developed. And, you know, you put those two together and you have loss in one hand and growth on the other hand. And you have this really, um, really moving movie to me about just impermanence and the flow of time and how really kind of elegiac that becomes, I thought was really moving. Um, but uh, I, I completely understand why this would not be engrossing for the average viewer. Yeah, yeah. I felt as much pull as it looked like the river had, which was very placid and no ripples. Um, now, I think the most important thing that, that you learn about in this documentary is is the water buffalo. Mm. I think I think that's really the crescendo of the film. Um, no, there there's interesting moments, um, but I, I mean I only get so much out of watching four um, men, you know, welding a bridge, you know, and I I only get so much over another um, you know laborious letter about about melodrama. Um, I, and now yeah. I have sympathy that this is real people, but like um, I just don't care in the context like it's it's not presenting a way for me to care it's it's using sound to try to um arise sympathy that is counter um not counterintuitive but just counter to the image presented the image presented Mm. does not beckon empathy or sympathy it just is a fact of observation and then constantly with its sound design it's it's attempting to use this melodrama to enact sympathy and empathy. And, um, you know, I, I just didn't find that that was a formula that I, um, appreciated. Um, there's moments that I think are, are beautiful in those letters. Um, talking about the bridge or, you know, now I realize, um, you know, that, that we never talked or, you know, there's a couple of those lines that are great lines, but 
just within the film itself, I didn't find them to cohere kind of like the same problem with Archipelago, just differently here. Um, but just as well, there's images that are, are very interesting um, to just kind of let play out that city park um, with, with those dogs playing. But then there's, I, I mean, maybe it's brilliant because I remember it, but just watching the whole city light up and, and turn off, like, I just hated that. I just oh. really did not like that. And it's not that the film um, scene is bad. It's just that, like, that grosses me out. Like, it's not Disneyland. It's a real place for people. And it just, it feels like a giant casino city. And mm-hmm. it just fundamentally, like, grossed me out and made me like, oh, I hate that place. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think the f- film seems to acknowledge the gaudiness of it, especially when it's contrasted with the other sides of the city that are still basically in ruin. There are sides of the city that are just rubble and the contrast between the like hyper-modernized areas versus those. Yeah, it's pretty stark. I feel like that's kind of one of the ideas is that like Mm -hmm. it is sort of um, jarring to watch the place where you, you live um, transform right right before your eyes. I think there's something really kind of poignant about that, um, especially when you think about this filmmaker and this being her um, her home um, and the idea that cities, you know, you know, over time transform and there's a point at which you no really long you no longer really recognize um, yeah, it's not what they were. Yeah, and how that's is that that's especially piercing when something like a pandemic happens and and people are gone and it just seems like this the city does not change you know the city continues its its growth and and transformation um that all i think cut pretty deep for me about the sound i mean i think the fact that we're not hearing any dialogue i thought was um was was very moving i just feel like there's a lot of loss that echoes in that silence the only sound design is just kind of the natural sounds of the city we're not hearing anybody oh, it's talk particularly timed with reading those journal entries though uh what do you mean by that the the letters or the journal entries like you know it, those are coming in at particular moments normally silent moments or like um sounds that are maybe empty or mournful like like there's there's an indication happening, um, and I just didn't care for the indication. But indications I did care for is like the the river itself, and um, you know, kind of its mirror, which is the the smoke in the air, mm. very 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 visible hardcore pollution in the air. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but like I cringed in at the moment when um. Those men went in the river for a swim. Like, I was like, oh, oh. don't go in there. That is nasty. Why oh, would you go yeah, yeah. in there? <laughs> um, and so there's, there's like, moments where it's showing me something and I'm having a really human reaction to these, to these things. Or it's speaking kind of bigger about the river or about the pollution in the air. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, I think it's just a sensibility thing where you give me these long, single frames and I just it's rare that I'm going to react really positively. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's, I think very much the case. Sensibility is at play. I like that this is a movie partly about the passage of time and the effect that that has on a place as you know it. Um, and to me, it only makes sense that a, that a movie experiments with duration um, as, it, as it explores that idea. Um, I can't help but think about 
movies, um, like the filmography of uh, Zsa Zhanka, and we talked about um, Ash's Purest White. I think that's the mm-hmm. only film of his we've talked about on the show, but I feel like he's kind of considered the, or considered by many to be kind of the preeminent chronicler of um, the transformation of 21st century China, and you're always seeing these kind of micro stories in his movies play out against the macro uh, transformations of the country. Um I think there's something similar here where you're getting these personal anecdotes um, about people who have experienced something really lost and setting it against the um, change occurring across the city at large. And what's really, I think, thoughtful about a lot of the compositions is how so many of the structures, whether they're highways or the skyscrapers, just dwarf the people that are in them. Um, They can look just tiny as they're working on a bridge or something like that. And, you know, the idea that you can feel kind of helpless to the the larger tides of, of wherever you live and whether that's a pandemic that you can feel helpless in um, responding to or just um, the city where you live becoming something else entirely, I think is kind of striking. Um, but uh, yeah, there we go. I, I would agree. Um, the, the one thing, and this might just be me, but the film gives the impression that like, there's a significantly less amount of people in this city than there is rooms in those damn skyscrapers. Like mm. you, you get such a sense of like bubble inflation. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with like the the giant towers that they've made where like no one lives and they're not furnished or finished, but they they look like these giant cities on the outside that China's done. Mm. But it, I definitely like have that distinct feeling and that's part of what i was reminded of when they were making the the city kind of dance with light like Mm. a casino um it's just interesting because we i don't think we ever see more than like 10 people in a frame um Mm -hmm. and then we're you know scaled out looking from that bridge at that entire city and i just i did not get the impression that those rooms were even halfway full in those Mm. skyscrapers you know yeah, yeah, I believe that. I mean, th- you get the sense that this is kind of happening so fast that, yeah, some of it's not even yeah. in use yet. Yeah, and, and, like, will it be in use? It, it's almost like, um, you know, we're making something to make it, and, um, you know, whether or not it ever gets used is beside the point. There's, I don't know, there's something very, there's a sense of despair that's, I think, separate from COVID in this documentary. I, I don't quite know how to place my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is just a personal thing. And, you know, it's not like where I grew up is a um, bustling metropolis by any means. But it's something about, like, having moved from where I grew up to where I am now. And whenever I go back and seeing new stuff and seeing things develop and just feeling like, you know, it's just a funny thing to have your memories of a place and you go back and it's not how you remember it at all. There's, There's new stuff there. And... And sometimes you you don't like it. You you find it you find it gaudy or something like that. Um, uh, it it would maybe play differently if I didn't know that this is a filmmaker who's from Wuhan originally, and not there now. I think that's kind of an interesting perspective of mm-hmm. is she an insider or is she an outsider at this point? I think it, uh, the, how your homeland can suddenly feel very foreign to you. It's interesting, yeah. especially to go to Chicago. You know, it's yeah, it's an interesting pairing of, of city to city um, yeah. with those towering 
um, spires and the same amount of mm-hmm. despair and all that stuff from two different economic stratas. Yeah. Um, all right. Favorite scene? My favorite scene. Are you sticking with the water buffalo? I do not give two shits, just like the water buffalo. I'm sticking with the water buffalo. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I, I have a particular shot that's that's coming to mind. About although, a moment in a shot. I don't know. It's just what about the a it's, diary or letter entry. It's it's the the ones that come to mind are are ones that emphasize you know these these highways and bridges and the construction workers who just look like ants. Like there's one shot where it's the camera's looking like directly upwards into the sky and we're looking at these two like footbridges who, that are slightly transparent. So you're seeing oh, yeah. people walk cool on one. those. Yeah, um, and they just look so tiny and it looks like I don't know almost kind of like. Futuristic. The fact that they're they seem so high up there and so tiny. It's a brief shot too. That one is. Yeah, I think the the shot legs actually maybe vary a little bit. Um, that was striking. Yeah, that that was a good scene. Good choice. All right, that was Hot Docs twenty twenty one. Till next year. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! And that's another one in the can.